Not 50, not 60, not even 75, but a 100% pass rate in math and 71% pass rate in reading, up from 40%. Here's how it's done. Welcome to the podcast. This is Teach, Hustle, Inspire, the podcast that's all about ways to help you absolutely flourish in the classroom. Teach, unlock intellectual treasure. Hustle, can't stop learning, won't stop learning. Inspire, spread love and light. Greetings and salutations. I am your host, Dr. Sean Woodley, and welcome to episode four of Teach, Hustle, Inspire. This is the weekly educators podcast that brings you the best classroom management, student engagement, and educator lifestyle strategies, helping you live your best life as a game-changing educator. Thinking of a master plan, trying to come up with different ways and strategies to engage your students, to enhance their achievement, give each and every one of them individually what they need so that they can succeed and achieve in your classroom. What is it that we can do against all odds to improve data? We hear it all the time, data, data this, data that. Sometimes we get sick of hearing the word. Let's just keep it real. But it's important. And you see sometimes that frustration that comes about because you know you're trying your hardest. You know you're making a good effort, but still sometimes that data just doesn't show the results that you had hoped for. That's what we're discussing today. We're speaking with a dynamic educator by the name of Miss Shanika Freeman out of Georgia who walks us through how she was able to achieve such dramatic results in a short period of time. And to get the full story, we go back to the beginning of just where she went to school and how she matriculated in her career as an educator. Where did you go to, where did you go to school and where are you from? Okay. Um, I am originally from Tennessee. However, um, you can say that Georgia is my home. I've been um, in Georgia since I was five years old. Okay. Um, I was raised just north of Atlanta in Cobb County. So I went to elementary school, middle and high school in Cobb County. And then I finally, um, upon graduation, I went to the University of West Georgia. Now, initially, my undergrad degree was in political science. It was never um, meant to be education, oh, period. Okay, and, okay. and so I started taking some of my political science classes and the professors were like, uh, and I was like, no, maybe <laughs> this is not for me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So <laughs> I ended up changing to early childhood education. And so... I graduated with my bachelor's degree in December of 2009 um, in early childhood education. And then I've continued um, going to the University of West Georgia, one, because their online program is really nice and the flexibility is nice being a working um, educator. Mm -hmm. And I've obtained both my master's and my education specialist degree from the University of West Georgia as well. With a con- with a content focus of instructional technology, mm-hmm. and in the fall I will be going back to seek my reading endorsement, okay. and that will be all for my education for this time frame. Wow, that's awesome! That really, really Thank is. Thank you. Yeah. So when when you were kind of in throws about your original major and then switching like what made you decide to try early childhood um, education was there something specific or did you have always have that like kind of inkling in your soul the whole time and you just said wow let, let, let me just go ahead and accept my calling like what was it that made it for you well I can remember being very young and always when I was playing with family cousins, friends or whatnot, we would always play school. And I would always want to be the teacher. And I had worked in um, a child care facility um, during college. And I love being around students. I love teaching um, students and kids and giving them the knowledge and power to um, succeed. 
So I knew that um, I want from that time on, I was like, okay, then I probably need to take the route as an educator, Mm -hmm. not necessarily middle grades. They're too moody and (laughs) high school (laughs) (laughs) and high school. I was like, no, that's not going to work. Um, By the time I graduate from college, I'll be 22. Mm -hmm. They're 18. That's too close (laughs) into age. So I said I would stick with um, early childhood because with early childhood, it gives me the opportunity to teach everything. Mm -hmm. I'm not just stuck and stuck in one subject area, or I'm not stuck teaching two subject areas, I get to see the whole the whole gamut mm-hmm. of instruction from K through five. Now, this year will be different for me, um, because I am going to focus just on one grade level in fifth grade being social studies. So that will be a big adjustment for me. And, and, you know, it's interesting what you mentioned about being able to teach all of the subject areas because there there can be so many great relationships that you can create from one subject to another. It doesn't have to be so isolated. So I think that's a big part of that, too. That's awesome. Right. And that and that's what I try to do in my classroom is to show the students the connection and that we're not just doing math and math. We do math and science. We do math and social studies. It, it's all over or mm-hmm. any other subject trying mm-hmm. to make that connection and trying to get them to realize that, hey, this same exact stuff that you're learning right now in elementary school, guess what? You're going to see it again when you get to middle school, but mm-hmm. it's going to be in a little bit more depth. And you'll see it again in high school. And then you'll even go on to see it more in college before you even start taking um, classes for your major. So I try to connect the pieces as much as possible for them to show the importance and to show them that, hey, you know, pay attention now and it won't be so hard later when you come across the information again. Right, right, right. And setting you almost setting that expectation up front. And I I think by what you're doing, you're setting the expectation, but then also giving them that motivation that they need to keep pushing and moving forward past this and giving them also a reason as well. Right. Um, Expectations were a must in my classroom. Um, I remember um, at the beginning of the school year, I told my students, I said, last year, I had the highest GMAS scores and this year I will have the highest (laughs) GMAS scores. And, you know, just having those conversations and setting those high expectations for your students, it makes a complete bit of difference. Anytime I conferred with my students, they they wanted to know, Ms. Freeman, how do I get to that level three or Mm -hmm. how do I get to that level four? And, you know, I had some children that were reading below grade level and they always told me, Miss Freeman, by the end of the year, I'm going to be green or whatever color it was. And, you know, I could see their excitement, especially when we had our weekly data Mm -hmm. um, ceremonies. And with these data ceremonies, um, anytime we took a weekly common assessment or unit assessment, Um, The children would cheer each other on as I um, told them, you know, if they were a level three, level four, level two and level one. And one thing I never tolerated within my classroom um, would be those students that were a level three or level four picking on those students who were a level one or level two. Um, My students really came together and and, um, worked together. As a team, and if they saw one student struggling, it was Miss Freeman. I'm finished with my work. Can I go help that child? Which took a lot of, which took a lot of the, took a big load off of me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. As a teacher, you know, I had many teachers who could teach the information to the students, and sometimes, you know, those students ended up getting the information a lot better, mm-hmm. hearing it from their peers. From their peers, yes. Than from Miss Freeman explaining it this way. So I would recommend, you know, that teachers set your expectations high. 
It's all about expectations and let your children know that they're able to do it, even when they don't feel like Mm -hmm. they're able to do it. And um, one uh, resource that I used was Sean Covey's um, The Seven Habits of Happy Kids. Oh, yeah. And we um, talked about being proactive, thinking win-win. Um, oh, yeah. Putting ha- first habits one first. and two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Very familiar. <laughs> putting, um, putting first things first mm-hmm. or whatnot and how all of those habits encompasses and makes the whole person and if you live by those habits and you embody them, then you will be a great leader and you will always succeed no matter how hard the task may be. Let me ask you this. because you, you Now, I had to go back and ask Shanika what exactly she did to create that environment of emotional safety. She mentioned that in her class, there are levels where level ones represent students that are performing at a lower level all the way up to her level four or high flying students. She said that she does not tolerate or expect students that are at a level three or four to talk down to students that are on a level one or a two. So I wanted to know what exactly she did to create that so that it's common practice for those things not to happen in the classroom. Um, And, you know, in the beginning, we all discuss what our strengths were, what our weaknesses were, what did we, you know, what did we want to work on and so forth. And, you know, I made sure to explain to them, you know, even Miss Freeman, even though I'm a teacher, I'm constantly learning Mm -hmm. every single day. I don't know everything. Um, When I need help or I don't understand something, I go seek help to um, get that knowledge so that I can become better at it. And, you know, I explained to them, you know, there's no reason to pick on anyone because they don't know something, what they don't know a particular thing. You know, I said, we're learning is a constant process. And instead of picking on those people or whatnot, because they may not be strong in Mm -hmm. math or they not, they may not be strong in reading. How about, you know, we show them and the different strategies that we use so that they can become proficient as well and we can become a stronger um, team. And, you know, we had healthy competition um, in our class in our classroom. Um, My students were very competitive um, because we did we played a lot of games, um, whether it was just review games mm-hmm. or during our guided practice, they were competing against one another. Um, that brought a that brought apart um, that brought it in as well for them, you know. And I constantly had them helping one another. If you see your friends struggling, help them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it came time to work out problems, they would um, have, like I said, healthy conversation. You know, they'll point out that's not the right way um, to do it. That's not the step that you um, Mm. are supposed to do. You did this wrong. This is how you um, are supposed to do it. And then just making those connections and bringing it back and placing the responsibility um, on the child. You have to um, have them take responsibility for their actions and for them to realize that there's consequences um, to their actions. And my students um, learn quickly that, you know, if we're putting people down and so so forth, there's going to be consequences to our actions. And then at some point, think about how you're going to feel, because I'm pretty sure there's some content that Miss Freeman would cover that my that level you don't threes know. and mm-hmm. fours that they don't know. So how would you feel now that the role is reversed and you don't know the information? So definitely building that sense of community, trust, um, getting the children on the same page of not necessarily putting a child down, but helping that child and trying to build them up mm-hmm. to become stronger is um, definitely um, a key was a key to success within my classroom with those students helping one another because they all realize that, Hey, we all have our weaknesses Mm -hmm. because I don't think at any week at any um, time during the week, I don't think I had any child who was necessarily a level four 
in both reading and math. Got it. It may have been a level four in um, math, but then when it came to reading, maybe bordering between a level two and a level three. Okay. So mm-hmm. they all realized that, hey, we have our weaknesses and, you know, we have to work on those things. Awesome. Awesome. So you have some through-the-roof phenomenal test scores achieving a 100% pass rate in math for your students this past year. And again, congratulations on that. Absolutely phenomenal. And a 71% pass rate with reading. Tell me, um, do you did you have the information on where those students were prior to getting into your classroom? Like, what was the pass rate before they got to you in those areas. Did you know that? Okay. So in the state of Georgia, um, second grade, unfortunately they don't have, um, standardized testing. So when my students came to me from second grade, the only data that I had on them was of course their overall scores on their transcripts. Mm -hmm. And then, um, dibbles, um, which we use to, um, how do I put it? to track their fluency and so forth. Now, I'm not a big fan of dibbles um, because many administrators, um, they're blinded by color. They see green, <laughs> uh-huh. red, and <laughs> yellow, and they think that everything is okay. And I and I kind of feel that the dibbles program gives a false perception, mm. especially when it comes to reading, because reading is just more than fluency. There's five components of reading. Right. And, you know, I had some students who were benchmarked, which were green. And, you know, that was said that, okay, these students are performing very high in reading, but that was not the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, they may be a fluent reader. Um, they may have the vocabulary, but then, Hey, they're struggling with comprehension. Comprehension, So, you know, um, although I had all of that data, um, which helped me kind of group the students, um, in the beginning, um, it was just through weekly and common assessments where I began to gather, um, most of my data with Mm -hmm. my students and how they were now, please don't miss the importance of what she said there. She mentioned that although certain students on paper it indicated that they appeared to be proficient in certain areas, she found some gaps there. Trust but verify. This just goes to show the importance of frequent assessments. And this doesn't mean anything that's too time consuming. Those quick but accurate checks for The children's understanding is really all that's needed, but it has to be done on a regular basis in order to confirm what the students know or even what they don't know. um, At any given time, when you walked into my classroom, especially when it came time for centers, I could have at least 15 different things going on at one time because the the children were not all working on the same things Mm -hmm. because they all had different needs. And Um, I color-coded everything. I had five basic centers for math. I had math writing, um, which would help my students with constructed responses on Mm. the GMAS. Um, I had math with someone um, where those students um, did some type of hands-on activity with, um, with someone. And generally, I had my higher kids pairing with my Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. lower kids so that they would be able to scaffold and help them. Are you dropping jewels right now? Tell you. Yeah, absolutely. Then I had math by myself, which gave the child a chance to um, practice uh, whatever skill they needed by themselves. I had math with technology um, where the students utilized an online program called Prodigy, Mm -hmm. which I strongly suggest for any teacher. I think it goes from kindergarten through eighth grade. Okay. Um, It gives the child a placement test. And then you as the teacher, depending upon what the child needs, you can assign individualized skills for um, that child and they're able to work on it. 
um, work on those skills in class. They're able to work on them at home, on the telephone, wherever. And it provides all the um, resources like base 10 blocks, um, a whiteboard, anything the child may need mm-hmm. um, at their level to um, solve the problem. And then I had, of course, math with the teacher where I worked with a small group. Now, so that there wasn't much confusion, my centers or stations, they lagged a week behind. So the students were never working on current um, standards for that week in which we were covering. It was a week behind so that I wouldn't get Miss Freeman, Miss Freeman, Miss Freeman. I don't understand what's going on and so forth because, you know, they're still acquiring the content for the week. So um, we worked in those centers all the time. I I made it my goal um, after my second year of teaching. I said that I never wanted to stand before my children and talk longer than 20 minutes. Wow. Um, because they, you end up losing their attention mm-hmm. after 20 minutes and they need time to, um, socialize with sure. one another. Sure. So we did most of our work in small group setting. And, um, yeah, like I said, most of the work was done in small group setting, differentiated work for them. And then one thing that I think that really helped a lot. Anytime we were talking about um, a subject or a standard, I had these little containers um, where I put different activities that the children could do when they finished early. As a teacher, always give your child or students an option um, of what they can do when they finish early so they don't start to converse and, and get in trouble. So let's just say we were talking about elapsed time. So in their group basket, I would put manipulatives that dealt with elapsed time. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed, because children like to play with toys and manipulatives are kind of like toys. Um, What I noticed was anytime my kids finished their independent work first, they always went for those manipulatives and they practice the skills and they would work side by side with practicing the skills. And also um, getting the children, getting your children to explain their reasoning and Mm -hmm. their thinking Mm -hmm. behind um, what they're doing also helped. That helped me as a teacher to understand what their thought process was, what part they didn't understand. And then from there, that allowed me to go back and reevaluate my small groups and how I need to. help that child. Because sometimes, you know, with a concept, it's not that the child doesn't understand the concept. They may not understand a certain procedure or step within the concept. So um, we did a lot of that, like I said, constant conferring and um, daily feedback, telling them what level they are at at that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they strived to get to... um, to get to that higher level um, with reading, um, I used something called the cafe menu board. And I had a bulletin board in my classroom um, that had the word cafe spelt. And um, the C stands for comprehension. The A stands for accuracy. The F stands for um, fluency. And the E stands for expanding vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Now, anytime in reading, we used um, anytime in reading, we covered a specific skill. Let's say for comprehension, um, we covered cause and effect. Now, not every single student in my class struggled with cause and effect. But what I would do is those students, um, if you had any issues, I would put my cause and effect strip under the C and they knew and I would put in a um, sticky note with their special number. Um, I gave my children numbers within the classroom and they only knew their number. No one else knew their number um, for confidential reasons Mm -hmm. so that, you know, their names aren't necessarily posted throughout the classroom when they're level one, level two, level three or level four or whatnot. Um, 
So I would put that child's name on a sticky note and I would put that sticky note by cause and effect. And my children knew that, okay, when it came time to my five simple reading centers, I had um, listen to reading, uh, work on writing, word work, read to self and read to someone. They knew that when they were at listen to reading, um, read to someone or read to self, the skill they were going to work on was cause and effect effect because they knew that's what they needed to um, do. So once again, every child was not working on the same thing because they all had different um, needs. And I got this great idea from, um, it's called the daily five. Mm -hmm. Um, And I use that even though my district had a framework, I tried to work it into my, um, our framework as best as I could. Uh, Granted, the children were not able to rotate to all five different stations during the day. Sure. Um, They got to all five stations during um, the week. And reading tends to be a little bit more difficult uh, for students. So I had to truly have conferences with them. Um, Then as an educator, you have to understand what the standard is asking you to do. You have to understand your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And I always told my students the key to passing the assessment is understanding the vocabulary. If you understand what it's asking you to do, you can apply the strategies that Ms. Freeman is Mm -hmm. teaching you and you'll be perfectly fine. You know, because I had a child um, uh, who at the beginning of the school year, she was on maybe like a first grade reading level. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the time we finished and our GMAS scores um, came back, this child raised her Lexile level to over 700, uh, which is on grade level. Plus, on her writing, she ended up getting, um, out of seven points, she ended up getting six points out of, out of seven. So, um, you know, she said, Miss Freeman, I just did what you told me to do. said that constant conferring with the students reassuring them that they'll do great differentiating and specializing learning for the child and realizing that um every child doesn't need the exact same thing mm-hmm. um it really it really helped me and then giving them learning experiences um that they could make that connection with we did a lot of hands-on um activities within my classroom that, hey, once they saw it on the test, maybe that experience could activate, you know, that knowledge to help them to um, do to succeed and actually do well on um, the assessment. So that's what I accredit to um, my high test scores. Um, I taught the content. Um, I looked at multiple ways to teach the content. Mm -hmm. Um, If I noticed that, you know, we had an off day or Miss Freeman, you know, didn't do something correct or whatnot, I went home, thought about it. How can I re-deliver this content to my students? So a lot of reflecting on my part um, and definitely a lot of planning. Um, I strongly suggest as, you know, a new teacher and I still consider myself a new teacher because this is only my fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, this upcoming school year will be a, a, my fourth year um, plan, have a plan in action, because, you know, if you don't necessarily have a plan in action, then the children are going to have a plan for you. And it's probably yeah. not um, not a good. That's not plan what you want at oh, no. all. Mm-mm. So. Mm-mm. And, and you know what? I think that's so critical because you, you mentioned so many, so many just little nuggets along the way. And I wanted to ask you that, um, the daily five, is that a book? It is a book. It is written by the sisters. 
Um, and I know a lot of districts have um, tra- they're transitioning to that daily five model. Mm-hmm. And um, initially, when we started centers, um, my children only worked in centers for five minutes because that was the that was the amount of time that they could sustain um, without becoming off task mm-hmm. and so forth. So we worked to build their stamina. Got it. And I had a little incentive and they were once again competing um, in their groups. Um, whichever group, you know, they were working to build that stamina to get to at least 25 to 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And whichever group, um, whichever group got met, I guess, met that goal they got a small treat or something like that. So they were always, you know, we have to build our stamina. We have to build our stamina. And by the end of the year, they were able to, um, they were able to successfully work independently for 25 to um, 30 minutes by themselves without having any um, issues. And another thing that I gave my students um, the option of, I gave them flexible seating. Um, and with the flexible seating, I did not confine them to their desk all day. Okay. Um, because even as adults, you know, we don't like to stay in one place or one position all day. Sure, don't. So um, I gave my children um, the opportunity to pick different places where they would be able to sit and do their work. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> some children like to stand, some children like to kneel, some students like to get a mat and lay on their right. bellies. Mm-hmm. It was just whatever worked for them. But we did have an understanding because they had to sign a contract that if Miss Freeman sees you not doing what you're supposed to do or you're playing, you lose your right to that um you lose your right to that seating and then you have to go um, back to your desk. So that the daily five, it really helped me with management mm-hmm. and it really helped me focus in on what type of stations or centers I needed to have gotcha. um, for my students. I think that's um that's going to be I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link to that book in the show notes for this episode because I can immediately see the value you pretty much 5x your students ability to go from uh to stay in those groups from 5 minutes to 20 25 minutes so just that in and of itself to being productive for that long um is worth its weight in gold uh right. you also with I like what you said also about the self reflection because you know you I like to think of it like in terms of the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry and you could have like the best plan and you could, you could walk in there. I'm about to kill this lesson and it just, it just doesn't go right for whatever reason. So you have to set, step back sometimes and say, okay, what was it about this lesson that didn't get across to these children? Or I engaged some, but I ain't get the results that I wanted. So I think that self-reflection piece is critical in there too. Right. Because um, every day now I had this little sheet that I um, used to help me organize um, whether my students met the standard, whether my students were approaching or whether they 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 just they were having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And I use that as a part of my reflecting piece as well, because I know that if I had a large number of students who were approaching, who just didn't get it. Mm -hmm. I know that I did something wrong Mm. as the, as the teacher. Um, You know, oftentimes teachers will, you know, just say, you know, these kids, they just don't get it, but they don't look at their cells to say, Hey, is this something that I did wrong? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, you know, quickly realized that when I had a large group of students who didn't understand the concept that, um, that was my fault. And I had a hiccup as the um, teacher and I needed to go back and reevaluate how I was going to um, deliver this lesson again so that my students understood um, the content Mm -hmm. and they would be able to become proficient on it.
Now, let me ask you with these, and this may, might be explained in the book, but for those who are not familiar with it, you mentioned about the planning and how important it is. How does someone plan for five different activities in one subject area? Okay, planning, me personally, um, I had all my stuff um, ready for the next week by Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And based upon what we were working on, allowed me to plan for um, my centers. Um, let's see. If we were talking about multiplication um, in math, and and I'll just use um, math writing for an example. Um, my lower students, let's say they're still struggling with multiplication. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I would go back and look at the previous standard in second grade, which I know in second grade, they learn multiplication as skip counting, repeated addition or something or along those lines. So my lower level kids, um, they would have an activity where it may just be writing a multiplication sentence or not. not it would have words like a word problem, mm-hmm. but it would involve them applying the skills of repeated addition um, or equal groups or whatnot, just to get that foundation so that they become confident and something that they were already familiar with. Right. Mm-hmm. And then my. On level kids, they would actually do what the standard is. And then my high flyers above level kids, I generally gave them um, the standard above, which would be fourth grade. Mm -hmm. Um, I know with that daily five, it helped me hone in on my centers Mm -hmm. and it helped with organization. And I know some people may be like, oh my goodness, this lady had like, five different things going on at (laughs) one time, but it does, like I said, it does take planning. Yes. Um, You have to think about it. You have to think about what your kids need and you have to be very, um, how do I put it? You have to be very strategic Mm -hmm. with picking the resources um, for your children. Um, don't, don't get caught up so much. I know a lot of teachers use, um, I think it's teachers pay teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, I use it myself, but be very selective and strategic when picking your center stations and making sure your resources align with the standards, because there's some, there's so many resources, but many of them don't align to the standards. So you could very well be like, okay, I'm doing this. I have it under control. And yet you're teaching your students the wrong thing, which sets them up for failure because they got the wrong information from their teacher. So once again, it goes back to knowing your standards, having a plan, knowing what your children um, need to succeed. And from there, picking the best resources Mm -hmm. that um, you can. And then also taking in account um their their learning styles how how do they learn um best which you know i tried like i said i tried to dive into all different types of um learning styles you know kinesthetic i think we were talking about in in geometry we played a song and the kids actually got up and walked out the different quadrilaterals nice. they drew out the different quadrilaterals and stuff. So it truly goes back to knowing your student, knowing your students, knowing what they need and doing what's best for the children. Because at the end of the day, it's about the children. It's not about everything else that may go on in the school building, the drama that you may have in the teacher's lounge. By the way, stay out the teacher's lounge. Who it's are not a- you telling? Matter of fact, say, <laughs> say that again. <laughs> stay out of the teacher's lounge. Oh my lounge. gosh. It's not, it's not a um, good place to be at all. So at the end of the day, you know, we have to be there for the children. Absolutely. And that's one thing that I take to heart is being there for the children, you know, because I've been criticized. You do absolutely too much for, you know, these children. But at the end of the day, 
knowing the demographics that I was working in, Mm -hmm. knowing the obstacles that my children face, I felt that it was my job as their teacher because they spend so much time with me Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. to give them different experiences that they will never be able to forget. And they will be able to look back and say, hey, Miss Freeman did a lot for me. Sure, you know, I only ask for my students to come to school, try their best and do their best. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Nothing else um, at all. So, you know, be there and make everything about the children. And I promise um, if you do those things, then you, you will have a great year. Wow. So, so many jewels right there. And, and you mentioned about the demographics. T- talk, tell, tell me a little bit about the, the overall school. Is it a Title I school or is it in, a, in an urban area? Okay. So I, um, I work in Clayton County, Georgia, which is located south of Atlanta. And at one point in time, the demographics in Clayton County, um, it was primarily white. But over time, those demographics changed. And now it's primarily um, African-American. Clayton County, the entire district is a Title I district. Mm -hmm. Um, 63% of the third graders tend to come reading below grade level. Um, I wouldn't say that it's an urban um, environment, but there are some challenges. It is a high poverty um, environment. Gotcha. Um, with my school, it about 90% African-American and then the other 10% would be, um, Hispanics. Okay. Um, Hispanics and you have a little mix of Asian, primarily Vietnamese. Um, and so that's the demographics and let's see, we did not have a high population of English language learners, okay. about 12% of the student body um, was special education. And the school had almost 800 children and about 500 of those kids were receiving EIP services. Mm. So as you can see, um, a lot of these children are below grade level. Sure. Um, and probably because they have so many things, you know, going home, I had a baby come into the classroom and she was, you know, I I said, well, what happened to your uniform? Her shirt was inside out and so forth. And, you know, she was like, we don't have any lights at home. Mm. So many of our babies are going through so many things that we, that we don't even know as an educator until you build that relationship and talk to them about what's going on and don't just assume that they're acting out um, just because because children, they act out because something is going on. Mm -hmm. And I try to build that relationship with each and every one of my children um, to get to know them, have that open line of communication with their parents. That's a that's a must. Um, having communication, an open line of communication and making yourself available um, for your parents and uh, for your students. And I use Class Dojo for that. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents could email me. um, My parents could call me. Um, I know a lot of teachers don't give their cell phone numbers out, but my parents were able to call me um, if they had any issues or whatnot. So having that open line of communication, understanding the children that you're working with and not and not expecting everything to be like you see it when you're doing student teaching or your practicums Mm -hmm. in college, because it's very it's very different when you get in a classroom um, by yourself and you don't have anyone there with you anymore. So you truly have to understand your babies and understand that when you move from district to district based upon those demographics and the needs of your children, your teaching style is is going to have to change mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. based upon based upon those students. You can't teach just one way. I knew my babies, they weren't going to make it with worksheets. Mm-hmm. So a 
like at the end of the year. Well, over the past three years, I've accumulated eight boxes of copy paper because I never <laughs> really made I never really made copies because <laughs> worksheets don't work for my children. And I would say for anyone that's teaching in a high poverty area, um, low socio low socioeconomic um, status, no worksheet. It does not work. Those babies need hands on experiences sure because they're not getting it. They're not getting it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need as a teacher, you need to try your best to give them those experiences within the classroom. And I promise you at the end, you will see it. Um, you'll see it pay off giving them those experiences and they will love you forever. Um, I still have my babies that come back from uh, three years ago when I started teaching. Miss Freeman, you're my favorite teacher. I want to come back to your classroom and so forth, which makes it so worth it. It does. For me. It does. It's almost magical when those things happen because sometimes like when you're going through the thick of it and the job can can be a lot on you to say the mm-hmm. least. It's those little instances where you know and it just reminds you of the value that you're giving these kids because sometimes right. we tend to forget. That's awesome. Now let me ask you with this with these centers and the success that you've had with this, especially with the one hundred percent pass rate in math. Have you always been doing these centers or what was it like before you really got good or started doing these centers? What was it like in the classroom? Was it a struggle? I was trying to wrap everything around Um, because I was coming in the middle of the year. They created my classroom and the other four teachers gave their students. And of course, you know, anytime a teacher hears, okay, um, we're getting another teacher um, you're going to give some of your students. Mm-hmm. What do oh, they you, do? You know um, who you're getting. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. They start dishing out behavior issues. So my first year, the hat, because I came in January, mm-hmm. um, it was a it was a struggle. Um, I, during a small group, I literally had a small group. I had 24 kids mm-hmm. and I had five kids remaining in my class because the rest of them got pulled out for EIP reading and gotcha. math because they were so um, low. So I was still learning because I was a new teacher Mm -hmm. and so forth and trying to get the rhythm of things. So my first year, mm, I I wasn't really focused on centers. I was like, I have to get control of this class. I need to learn what I need to do best. Mm -hmm. um, And I need to learn the curriculum. So that half a year, I did not um, do centers. The um, next year, I did do centers. Um, I did centers only for math and reading. Okay. Now, what I did last year, not this school year that just ended. 2015, 2016. Um, right. Okay. I just had, um, how do I put it? I had five groups of kids and all the kids were working on the same thing. Um, that one group would do a center together. It wasn't as differentiated as I would like. They got their differentiation and independent um, during okay. independent work. Now that big change um, this year, um, everything was differentiated um, in math and reading. And then I even added on centers for social studies and science. So like I said, the majority of my kids day, was spent in small group Mm -hmm. and centers um, with individualized learning. Now, my science and social studies centers, the only one that was differentiated would be my read and comprehend, where the children would have an informational text and I would integrate my reading informational standards into science and they would work on those activities. But then I had explore it where the children would do, for example, in science, they would do some type of um, science lab. Um, I had organize it where the children would use some type of graphic organizer Mm -hmm. to um, go over vocabulary or once again, an integrated reading skill. 
So this year was my first year of going all out with gotcha. centers mm-hmm. and truly thinking about um, the needs of the children, differentiating the um, centers for the kids. And it paid off um, because let me see. Uh, last year in math, I had the two, I think it would, yeah, it would be 2015, 2016 school mm-hmm. year. In math, I had only 20, I had a 77% pass rate in math, and that went up to um, 100%. And then in reading, I had like a 40 something percent, and that increased to 71%. So once again, at the end of each school year, I reflect mm-hmm. on um, what could I do better as a teacher. And I realized that, hey, I need to start differentiating these centers for the children because everyone didn't need the same thing um, during the course of the day. I, I, I'm still amazed. Like, I, I don't even want you to, like, brush past that. Like, that's a small accomplishment going you know, 30 percentage points up in each area is no small feat, as you so eloquently explained. And especially in circumstances like that, it's pretty much unheard of. So again, like, I I wish I was standing there next to you because I'd I'd give you the biggest high five. I'm so serious. Like, thank you so much. That is awesome. It really, really is. And, And above all else, I know that your students and their parents appreciate your efforts. very excited about my new teaching position um, of teaching fifth grade. Um, I've been working diligently. Um, If you're on Black Educators Rock, um, you can see my post getting things ready. Yes, um, early. (laughs) Yes, because I feel as a teacher, um, if you stay ready and prepared, you will never fail. Mm -hmm. And once again, it goes back to planning. Everything everything is centered around planning and having things in place and understanding what it is that you have to do or what's needed um, of you. And especially for me, it's taking a lot of planning because I'm going from third grade Mm -hmm. up to fifth grade and I'm just teaching social studies and our social studies standards changed in Georgia as well. So, yeah, it's 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 been a big adjustment, but I'm working um, through it. And I'm actually almost finished planning for the entire school year. My goal, my goal is to be finished by this Friday. So that I can have um, June or July off and enjoy the rest of my summer. And I think that's it's it's commendable to say the least about your preparation to get ready so far in advance. And I know that that's going to save you a ton of time on just on on your day to day. And and granted, I know that especially with something like this, planning so far ahead, you'll make adjustments and tweaks along the way. But the bulk of the work is done. Nice. Right. Um, um, I realize that I will have um, that I will have to change some things. Um, I have some contingency plans if things don't seem to um, work out uh, for me or whatnot with the things that I have um, this year. I plan on um, trying a flip classroom Mm. uh, where um, I will actually record my lessons and upload them to Edmodo Mm -hmm. or for those, you know, I understand that every child is not going to have access to internet, but most children have access to a telephone. Mm -hmm. So I plan to upload my videos to YouTube and for the children's homework, they will be required to, um, they will be required to watch that portion of my lesson, which will be my direct explanation and me modeling the skill for them. Mm-hmm. And then immediately when we come back into class next, the next day to maximize instruction, we'll do a 15 or 20 minute mini lesson 
mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. Um, the guided practice. And then the children will be released for independent work where they will rotate through um, five different stations. I have read and comprehend where they'll have um, leveled um, informational text with text dependent questions that are integrated with our reading standards. Um, I have research it where they will be engaged in project-based learning and they will um, have a project that they work on for the unit. I have explore it where the children will work with primary and secondary resources as they analyze and I integrate that reading um, component. I have, once again, work with teacher where my students will have a small group session with me and I'll pull in mm-hmm. that reading integration component again to help out my partner teacher with reinforcing reading. So they're getting reading constantly throughout Absolutely. the day. And then finally, they'll have response to literature where I've picked out some historical fiction uh, stories that go along with our units where they will read um, the different chapters and respond to um, respond to uh, questions about those chapters to further um, increase their comprehension. So once again, my focus this year is that small group um, that small group uh, setting for my students to maximize time. Since I'm when everything's said and done, I'm probably only going to get about 60 minutes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, of instructional time as it pertains to social studies. So giving them the information beforehand and then them coming in to have a discussion and so forth right. will, max, will maximize my time. That That's smart. And it's also, wow, that that's, that's awesome. And that's kind of similar to how our programs as you know when you're a graduate student you have that especially online you have that flipped classroom model similar to that so that's i keep saying it but that's fantastic like that really really is that's nice thank you so some all right so i have some different questions for you now okay i wanted to know how would your students describe, like, if I would, if I would ask one of your students, you know, what's Miss Freeman like? What would they say? Miss um, <laughs> Freeman's a tough teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, she demands respect. Um, she shows us tough love, and um, she truly cares about um, each and every one of us, and she wants the best for us. Nice. What about maybe what might have been a low? point or a low moment for you in the classroom? Um, I think it would be last year. um, I had this child um, who was not initially on my role, but because another teacher did not want him anymore. Mm. um, The child got placed into my classroom, very difficult uh, with behavior. Mm -hmm. The child ended up going on to special education and qualifying um, for special education as it relates to behavior. Mm -hmm. And I had a breakdown in class in front of my students Mm. um, because it, it was just, it was too much. Right. And um, I was having a hard time understanding, you know, we all have behavior issues in our classroom and I just didn't understand, you know, as I had my own behavior issues before this child came into my classroom I just didn't understand how was it okay, you know, for how was it okay for, um, you know, them to just take that child from another teacher's classroom because they didn't want that child and put them and put them in my classroom. So, you know, one day the child frustrated me so bad to the point of where I just lost it. Mm -hmm. And I started screaming. And my the other children were frightened. The child like pushed me. Or, or whatnot. And it was just, that was my, that's been the worst part of being um, an educator. And I made a mistake mm-hmm. um, as the educator because I should have never screamed. Screaming mm-hmm. does not work for the children, um, new teachers. It, it does absolutely nothing. It just, it just fuels the situation. 
and makes it um, even worse. So, you know, just talk to the child, you know, ask them to step out in a hallway, but don't leave them by themselves because you don't know if they'll like walk off or something, which that opens up a whole nother can of worms. And so um, that would have to be a low moment for me. But um, to combat the going back and forth with students, because they will test you Mm -hmm. and they will try to go back and forth and argue with you. Um, I've come up with a list of acceptable statements that the (laughs) children um, may use. Um, It's, you know, okay, yes, ma'am, Miss Freeman. um, Can I talk to you about this? Because so and so did this. Mm -hmm. But the combating and going back and forth arguing with children, it doesn't work. It only makes you upset as the um, educator. And it is it, it, it just doesn't work. So that would probably be my um, lowest point so far. Now, with that, especially with that instance of you just getting to the point of frustration, like how did you bounce back from that? And like, what did you learn from it? Besides, was there anything else that you learned besides that? You know, you have to just be careful and not to escalate situations Um, that they're children. Yes. Um, they have issues. Um, they're oftentimes they're not able to communicate as we are as Mm. individuals. So, you know, taking time out, trying to, you know, understand that child and understand that you're going to have to deal with certain behaviors in, um, different ways. What, what about what's what's maybe the funniest thing that happened to you in the classroom, Shanika? Um, the funniest thing I would say, uh, we were talking about the influences of um, ancient Greece on on American society today, which includes our government, um, the Olympics and um, the columns that we have adopted that you can see from the Parthenon in um, ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. So um, um, I was talking about, and and I made a mistake because I just assumed that my children knew about Greece. Uh-huh. And a child yells out, Miss Freeman, are you talking about the stuff that we put in our hair? <laughs> and I'm like... <laughs> no, absolutely not uh-huh. at all. So, yeah, um, make sure you explain that vocabulary uh-huh. because many of them, they don't have that background knowledge. Yeah. Many of them, especially in uh area, a low income area, mm-hmm. many of those mm-hmm. babies, they don't travel outside the city limits yeah. because they don't have the means. Right. So um, making sure you make sure you go over and um Explain any vocabulary that could be confusing for the child. Oh my goodness. I, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> now getting into some things that Shanika does for fun outside of the classroom. What, what does, what is something that you might do or you might use to like enhance your lifestyle? Mm, let's see. Um, I will say that I spend a lot of time um, uh, doing work. Um, I've been so busy since, let me see, uh, since I graduated from high school in 2005 all the way to now, um, I've been I've been in school constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I did six years in the National Guard. Um, I wow. was faced with a deployment. So I've been extremely busy, Mm -hmm. but when I do um, get a chance to do things for fun, generally going um, shopping Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. relieves um, stress and not school, not school shopping, because that (laughs) is very hard as a teacher. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm guilty of it. When you walk by school supplies or Mm -hmm, whatnot, mm -hmm. you, you just want to pick it up. Get one um, of these dollar notebooks. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, so I like to go shopping. Um, I love to travel. And then um, I just recently purchased a home. 
So now I'm into the decorating aspect oh. of my home. Yes. You watch that HGTV, get them ideas. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. If that information didn't bless your soul, I don't know what to tell you. I want to thank humbly Miss Shanika Freeman for breaking down exactly what she did to get a 100% pass rate and increase her reading pass rate over 30% with the use of small group instruction and centers. Thank you again so much because I know this information is extremely valuable to the podcast listeners. Teach, Hustle, Inspire is hosted, designed, and produced by yours truly, Sean Woodley, Ph.D. Please share with someone, and while you're at it, hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss a single episode. And leave a review on iTunes because your opinion matters to me, and I'd love to know what you think. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Woodley, spelled S-H-A-U-N-W-O-O-D-L-Y. I'm there almost every day and would love to engage with you. (laughs) Until next time. You know, research shows that we've reached the point in our schools where we can predict the academic success of a student based solely on that child's status as a minority and or being classified as socioeconomically disadvantaged. And as they struggle to help their minority or low SES students reach their full potential, many teachers suffer from high levels of stress and low levels of motivation, never truly finding a solution to help their students, inadvertently perpetuating the achievement gap. However, there is good news. There are many teachers who find success and thrive in these exact circumstances. Yes, a solution does exist. Programs designed to break down the barriers that limit our dedicated educators, allowing them to reach, motivate, and engage all of their students regardless of the challenges or circumstances. So I'm Jacqueline Jones, principal of Brentwood Elementary School of the Arts. What this workshop was able to do for my teachers was to give them specific strategies and ways that they can be creative, that they can ensure that engagement is happening, and at the same time ensure that students do not have distractions that will get in the way of their learning. For me, it was an opportunity to see where my teachers started from three years ago to where they're about to head. This year, we're moving full steam ahead, and Dr. Woodley's workshop has ensured that we have the tools and the thought pattern the creativity and the experience to make that happen. I am looking very forward to this year and to see what my teachers will do with this learning. Staff development and training that is proven, immediate, relevant, and most importantly, fun. Log on to seanwoodley.com slash PD for details on professional development opportunities for your district or school.